You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. This is the Broadway Boys Podcast through the Hockey Podcast Network. We are back with the New York Rangers season ending loss in game three getting swept by the carolina hurricanes and it's time to press the panic button and just shut everything down from the coaches to the goaltending to the offense to the defense it all needs to be broken down by andy and i and we will give the remedy on what we need to do moving forward but we need to really look at each game this series and break down the effort, break down the heart and trying to wrap our heads around what the hell just happened and what the hell was that? Andy, how's it going? You know, I've had a week uh, roughly to digest what, how everything went down and what happened because I had gone in preparing myself that, you know what, I probably there's a good chance they won't win. You know, there's a good chance they would win. I felt just based on their, uh, how they had fared over the, their last few meetings with the hurricanes. Uh, but you know, even if they had lost, it wasn't, it, you know, I thought it was free money, you know, it was kind of found, you know, they, they weren't really expected to be in this position, but then as the game plays out, you kind of realize, Oh, it's you, you really don't. These opportunities are extremely rare, and the Rangers were very fortunate to find themselves in it. And there were some things that were out of their control, but seemingly everything that was within their control did not. Just didn't. It just didn't come together. And I think there's a lot of blame to pass around for that. And uh, yeah, you're almost kind of left. And you know, I go back and forth on whether or not this was like this is a bad thing. But is it a bad thing that ends up being a blessing in disguise because it kind of maybe helps um, it helps the front office moving forward. Maybe it, it changes perceptions about some things or some guys. So and I'm sure we'll get into all that. But, you know, uh, if the Rangers didn't have a shot at Alexi Lafreniere coming out from all this, I think I'd be a lot uh, less. Yeah, I'd be a lot more pissed and unforgiving than I might be right now. But, you know, they're still uh, still, unfortunately, as excited as you and I were to get geared up for this. Uh, it 
it's definitely I kind of have a bitter taste in my mouth right now. It's kind of hard to wash out. Yeah, I mean, listen, losing the series is one thing, but getting swept and the way we got swept is is something else. And I think they're two different things. We didn't just lose. We got crushed and we got embarrassed. And and there are certain things that, you know, we've discussed game by game. You know, why are they doing that? Why is, you know, he putting that person out there? But before we get into that, you just have to look at the overall big picture and and what's happening in the rest of the series. You have the 12 seed Montreal beating Pittsburgh. You have the 12 seed Blackhawks beating the Oilers. You have an 11 seed Arizona beating Nashville. You have the, you know, uh, a, a seven seed and a young Vancouver team, you know, beating the old, uh, you know, dated Minnesota Wild. You have the young Islanders just absolutely embarrassing Florida. Um, and, you know, you you look at, well, the other series, um, the eight versus nine Jets and Flames, you know, I thought that was just a toss up. And then you, ha- I mean, the Jets pretty much had their whole team injured. And then you look at, you know, the Leafs and the Blue Jackets. That's not, hasn't been decided yet. But I think a lot of people would have looked at that series and said, you know, it's going five games, toss up. The problem I have with the New York Rangers and their effort is that, yeah, I know the Hurricanes can have, they have like, they have such a structured system and they don't give you time and space in the offensive zone and they limit you to one chance. So you're one and done and it's already, the puck's already out of the zone. The problem is, was the effort. You just didn't see the team show up like you did all season long. And, like, we could use the this environment as an excuse, but it, where was this? I mean, look at all the other teams. All the teams that were the underdogs showed up. The teams that were scrapping and fighting and clawing their way into the playoffs, they all showed up in the other series. Why? Where are the Rangers? Why like why why are the Rangers the exception? Why did that why are they the only team that got embarrassed and got swept? I mean, even the Panthers were able to get a win against the uh, New York Islanders. The Rangers went in, played four games, and won zero. And Andy, tell me, how many periods of good hockey did they play in all four games? Maybe three. And and that's might be being generous because I don't think they played I think they the Rangers had maybe one perfect period uh in four games um the exhibition versus the islanders i don't think was that bad i just think it was like whatever i think the problem though uh and trying to psychoanalyze this is a lot a lot of the post comments from players a lot of it seemed to be like we had such a good feeling coming into this and you know because we were left on such a high and we were trying to recapture that and that doesn't really sit well with me, to be honest, like as if it's this esoteric, you know, thing that you, you just get hot. Like you need to manufacture your own reason to want to play smart, structured, aggressive, fast, uh, you know, good decision hockey, not wait for it to like, hopefully, you know, if we, we do all these things, we come, comes to it. No, you have to be an, uh, you know, I know we're going to break all this down, but really, the right 
any disadvantage that the Rangers may have had was like, oh yeah, their their bottom six is is just AHL tweeners and guys that aren't ready cooked yet, and their defense is an old you know Mark Stahl who stinks and injuries or whatever. But it doesn't matter. Like they they came out flying in the first period, but they had no structure. Like maybe I understand the young guys not understand being a little nervous and jumpy, but there's plenty of guys on that team that have played a playoff round before that know what playoff hockey is like. And I'm honestly more disappointed in the older guys, you know, Panarin, Strom, Kreider, Mika, you know, yes, it's apparent that you're, this is a a top six team, but for them to barely create anything, uh, every one of them, you know, it's troubling to not try to change things up, to not settle the team down. I just didn't see leadership from them. I didn't see any leadership from Quinn. It's just, yeah, you can't play three periods in in nine games. You can't. Like, I wouldn't even care if they got swept, but it was like every game was like they kind of went the distance in every game where they got close, and then at the end it was just they lost every game like three to two. And But they it wasn't. Every game was like ended up in, in almost borderline embarrassing fashion. You know, at one point they lost, like, they would get, they'd be tied maybe, and then a goal would get scored on them, and then they would literally just all deflate. Like, they wouldn't step up. They didn't press harder. This team doesn't know how to press harder without becoming even more defensively porous and getting killed on the counterattacks. It's just, there's no answers, and it's just, it's frustrating. Like, they're not the, they definitely got beat by the better team, but it doesn't mean that, you there's no excuse for not uh for not at least showing up in the areas that it was well within your power to show up you know even if you were at your best and you still lost it sucks but that's not why you and i i think that's why not why you and i are upset it's because literally there were things that were within their control and they just rolled over and died in, in sad fashion yeah i i mean look listen i mean watching game one you know, you fall in the first period, one nothing. Uh, you know, you split the second period. It's a, you get a goal piece, and you go into the third period, and you know you need the next one. And you know, just classic old Rangers. They give up the goal to go three one, and then they score late to make it three two, just to keep you like hooked. <laughs> and that's how they lose. And then you have, you know, game two where you know, things start off pretty good. Like the, I thought the Rangers were like, all right, you know what? Like last game, let's kind of continue that momentum that we had towards the end. And then you just see things just fall apart, you know, and starting with Lundqvist and we'll get into the goaltending and specific players after, you know, I go through these games and then in game three, again, you're like, okay, we might have a shot here. Nope. Nope. We don't. We just gave up a goal. So that's it. Like, and there was just no urgency. The, the, our, listen, I won't say it's hard to bash Panarin and Mika, you know, listen, they didn't step up. They have to step up. You are a young team. Like we're not deep enough to have guys take, you know, three games off two or three games off. And I know they got their goals, but it's not just about the the stat sheet. You know, it's about the energy that they bring. It's about, you know, the foot races and the battles on the boards that they're winning that create offense like guys feed off of that. And if you don't if you don't bring that, then, you know, it's it's 
it has, you know, the trickle down effect throughout the whole bench. And then you have guys like that are middle of the pack guys, like the tier two guys all season, you, you know, you have uh Strom and, and Kreider. They do absolutely nothing. They don't really help themselves at all. Although, I, you know, I didn't think Strom was, I don't think he no. killed us, but he didn't like help us. He wasn't that X factor that he's been so many times that I talked about all season. He yeah. kind of was just a shell of himself. Yeah. And, you know, I'll get out and let me finish with Kreider here. Sure. It's a, it's, I, I'm trying to think of the, like, it's a, it, it numbs my mind that people think this guy is good and was worth, you know, the money that we paid him and worth, you know, the, with the term in that contract. And they think that that was worth it. People like that. People who think that Kreider is good and effective and like contributes positive to this team live in La La Land. Like, like it, it's amazing. He's done absolutely nothing. He took untimely penalties. He falls every time he throws a body hit. He is constantly going off sides. He's constantly out of position. It's not like he's some defensive, you know, mastermind where he can play shutdown defense. The guy does nothing good and he'll have like a spurt of something positive and people are like, man, Kreider's so big and he's so fast. He's so effective. It's like, he's not though. He's not. Well, that's, I think for me, the biggest thing is that Kreider will have always like, will have a stretch of games where he's flat out invisible and they'll kind of harp on it. And then they'll be like, you know, Kreider, you know, uh, Joe will be like, you know, Chris Kreider has been more noticeable all game. And, you know, yes. And he, yes, he can do stuff like he has the ability to do stuff with his size and speed that others can't. But the problem is that, is that really, should it, it, should he be able to, to, to be borderline behind the puck and invisible for two or three of the most important games and only finally show up when, you know, the, the pressure's on him and the chips are down because like he what didn't do anything the other, like it, it's really, you know, and I, I'm actually usually a Chris Kreider, not apologist, but I'm usually one of more of like, well, I do see what he like, but no, it's just a not like, you know, I just, when people, people were talking about, well, now that they've signed him, they're going to give him the C like, are you kidding me? Like, no, like he's not, I mean, In what world, why, why is he only allowed to show up? in for that final game and in a way that he's got tunnel vision and like it's just it's like it's something it's like it's like show trying to show that you are in it but you don't truly believe it you know what i mean like it was almost it seemed like it was more for personal pride than like wanting to get your team back in this if that makes any sense like i you know obviously that's a great that's a great burst but that's like the one good thing he did all series. And even when he looks like he was trying it, like wasn't you making smart decisions, wasn't using his line mates effectively, wasn't passing the puck effectively. They'd cycle the puck and then he would try to do something out of his skill level instead of just try to do what he does best and just hold on to it, make a pass that he knows he can't make. And of course he like passes it, you know, it gets picked off easily or it's out of the zone because he doesn't have that vision. And yeah, it's just, in, it's infuriating. Like those like why you know and to your point James that the, the, our top 6 really I'd say honestly outside of Buchnevich and Kako I didn't really see much I liked from our top 6 
you know, obviously if you're, if with the range, if you know what the Rangers bottom six looks like, you understand why that is a problem. Um, because yeah, they just, they literally, you can argue the, the Rangers at, at in three games, the only players that were going, like you can maybe argue Kreider was going one period of the last game. Uh, Kako was good. That was going the first two games. Lindegren, I thought that was sneaky underrated for this whole series. I liked his game a lot. And Truba was actually good, you know, outside Tony puts him in a bad spot in that last play and Truba for all, you know, I don't know. I don't like how he played it, but that was might be the one mistake he made in three games. So, but yeah, just uh, a lot of embarrassment and blame to go around. Yeah. The, the one thing I, I will say is tough and it's such a shame because who knows what kind of series it would have been. But losing Fost right away in this series was maybe the worst thing that could happen to the Rangers. Oh, yeah. that guy is Mr. Stability. He's Mr. Reliable. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him. He's going to make the right decisions. Um, you know, I know people hate him because he doesn't, you know, he's not se- like a sexy player out there. But he was our best player when we got eliminated from Ottawa. And this is the kind of feeling that I got was from this series was when the Rangers got eliminated by Ottawa, when they constantly blew leads, I think they gave up. They let the, they set the record for most goals given up while the other team has an uh, empty net (laughs) that, that series um, where Hank, you know, let a goal in from the boards on the goal line. Um, You know, I kind of had that same feeling and, you know, he was our best player in that series. Kreider was a ghost man, and he turned it up in the third period of the last game when it was too late. Yeah. It's just it's just really disappointing. And, you know, you can blame it on the youth. Like, you could say, well, the Rangers didn't have enough experience in the playoffs, and look what, you know, um, Carolina did last year in the playoffs, beating some really good teams and getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. But at the same time, it's like I'm not asking – the Rangers to win the series. I'm asking them to show up one game for the entire 60 minutes, put forth an effort. I mean, you guys got swept. That's embarrassing. Like you're pro at like you're pro athletes. Like this should not, yeah. this should not be happening, especially to a team that you had success against in the regular season. You've had success over the last 10 years. And you know, it, it just, it really, you know, it, it fucking annoys me. It really yeah, man, it drives it, me crazy. It felt, I think, imposter syndrome really set in uh, in that first game when the the chips were down. Um, I think that for me, one of the bigger things is the fact that you know, because it's like, the, the, yeah, the Rangers were on the unfortunate end of a lot of things, but you know, so were so are most of the other teams who were missing players. You know, Carolina's without. Dougie Hamilton and Pesci, who are two of their better defensemen. It doesn't matter. They play a full team defense. It, it's just like, yes, losing Foss hurts. Yeah, not having Lemieux was probably not good. And then, you know, you look at what that left their bottom six as, and it, it's abhorrent. Um, not having Igor for all three games. But honestly, even if they had those things, like, I don't get the sense much would have been different just because it was more of a in their DNA. And the whole reason I think you know, you and I have spoken about this at length. One of the biggest reasons this was one of the, the more more fun seasons I've had in recent memory watching the Rangers, besides being pot like super high on the fact that they, you know, they have 
they get Panarin, the season he's having Mika, uh, you know, they have Kako. Um, they're, 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 they have a loaded farm system that's going to be breaking in. And it felt like a new beginning is the fact that the last three seasons, like hearkening back to that Ottawa series, that these Rangers team, it always felt like they were waiting for the other, other shoe to drop, that they give up one goal they shouldn't, and then they, they mentally implode. And it, it happened three seasons, like without fail, you know, it's, and it is funny to see with how well the Flyers are doing that everyone's like, oh, we should have never like, you know, the same people that ran AV out of town with pitchforks are the same ones like, oh, we should have never traded them, which it has nothing to do with that. So if, if you're in the, on that bandwagon, you need to, to just, I don't know, watch more hockey and figure out why you might feel that way. But it's just it kind of it felt like this season when they finally got past that, that they're like, no, we're going to stay tenacious and we're going to keep going after the bone. and. Again, I think that's why at the top of the podcast, I said, like, it sucks, really sucks now, and I'm really mad about it. But I hope that in the long run, it's a wake-up call that they realize that, like, when they say the playoffs are a different animal, it's not that it's a different animal. That, yes, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, there's no time, space, and your intensity level. But so much about it is it's basically everyone pulling the same rope, even if it looks like there's, you know... uh victory is not within your grasp. And that's the biggest thing. Like the second they, they knew games were out of hand, I saw them stop or I saw them give up. And that's unacceptable. Cause you look at, you know, Toronto uh, was down what zero three scored three goals with their goalie pulled because they all didn't stop. Yeah. Four minutes and, and 30 seconds left. Y- yeah. And I, I've been really, you know, I, I've been critical of Toronto, but that, that was impressive to me, not for the fact that they could do that, but the fact that they didn't give up. And that they willed it to happen because they f- believed that they could do it and they were better. Yeah, um, and it's a and, short series. Like, yeah, like you don't know. It wasn't like we were down oh three and then down three nothing in the in the fourth game. You know, it's a three game series. Like, you make it two to one, and it's now it is what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, game two is definitely the most disappointing to me because that first game things didn't go their way, and. That's fine. You know, it is what it is. You could you you had all these reasons you could kind of write it off. Whatever. They weren't used to it, whatever. It's like they're wait trying to get hot, they haven't played hockey. But the second that the they dropped the puck on the second, you know, that they the Rangers had all of the momentum in the world going into that game. I don't care if who was in net, I don't care who you were without, it doesn't matter. You get to say, okay, now you know what it's like. We didn't like our result the last one, but we know what we what problems we face and we can fix it. And it was literally that second game was their worst game. And yeah, it's and, just and what it's unexcused. It's inexcusable in my book. And what did we say all I'm we're going to I'm going to start getting into like specific positions sure. here now. But, you know, what did we do all season? We we knew we didn't play structured defense. We constantly gave up, you know, uh, you know, scoring chances and goals and we we gave up goals but our biggest thing was that we took care of business on the offensive side of the puck it's like we we still gave up the same amount of stuff defensively but yet we never we never felt like we were confident enough to outscore the opponent like you know we gave up three goals plenty of times but we scored five you know what i mean and it just seems like we were back to the old rangers and the old playoff runs where it was like well, if Hank doesn't stop 48 shots and we win this game two to one, then, you know, we're not going to go far this series. 
like like that's unacceptable it's like we need to move away from that even if you do like this is the playoffs like i know it's the play in qualifying round but it's it's playoff intensity it's playoff mentality and you got to realize that like the other team is going to bring everything they have and like you there's no way there's nobody on earth that could say that the new york rangers gave gave it everything they have and you said it perfectly especially you really saw it when we gave up that second goal in the third game to go down two to one you really just saw everyone deflate no one everyone gave up and that was it yeah and it was that's extremely aggravating and disappointing but uh you did say something uh you know about hank and stuff like that and I kind of wanted to bring this up on on the podcast. Do you sure. do you think that Quinn and the organization gave Hank one last go? And the reason I say this is because, like, we all heard the you know the the rumblings that you know Shashurkin was the number one going into this, and that he's going to start. Do you think a last minute change was saying like Hank said like maybe give, give me one last chance? here or something no i don't I, I was thinking about that and i do i still do genuinely think the plan was to to play um shesterkin before he you know i i do think shesterkin legitimately did tweak something and i think hank's uh position and the fact that he looked good in his uh first period of exhibition play against the islanders and his record against Carolina then made it an easy decision to put him in. You know, I think it, I think it worked out fortuitously maybe for Hank, just because like you said, it would kind of be very, you know, as sad as it is, like the fact that he at least got to play, you know, uh, despite it being in a losing fashion is, yeah. Well, I think it worked out fortuitously for him with that. Cause I, I, I do think Igor was slated to play and I do think he got hurt. I do think that ultimately the organization, which I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, I think they did kind of view this as, like you said, you know, they they probably weren't going to get in, but they were lucky enough too. So, yeah, just to use it, I don't, you know, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there was some some big conspiracy to like get Hank a final a send off or let him like be be the hero one last time. Um, I think I do, but I do at the same coin think that you could argue that the when Igor was not fit to play, that it the choosing between him and Georgiev, it it made it easy for them. They're like, well, you know, Igor's not until Igor's ready. We're going to use Hank because of what he means to the organization and everything. Because I, 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 if you had said it was this a hundred percent just based on on ice play, I don't know if I could say that because I I would argue I think Georgiev. As Hank was actually not bad at times this season, and his numbers aren't weren't that that bad. They were pretty okay, but Georgiev was, although he was up and down, he wasn't steady. He was arguably better. And I guess you know they were they they convinced themselves saying they didn't want to gamble on if they were going to either get you know the the hot Georgiev who's unbeatable or the one who's like just really fighting it. So you know I think that that made their decision easier for them. Hey, hockey fans, I'm Breezy. And I'm Ray Ray. We host the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. We're lifelong hockey fans who talk about the game and the lifestyle. Our guests include professional hockey players. My rookie party had to wear Speedo, and then we had a checklist 
of stuff we had to do. Here we go, Gaber. What do you got to say? And it's kind of <laughs> like, you know better than that now, boys. I got dressed for the Bruins. You get a phone call. He's like, dude, we need you over here by the elevator. You got to get downstairs. You got to get dressed right now. I started playing the like, dun, 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 dun. And I turned it around and it had the Olympic rings and said, we did it. NHL team hockey reporters. I actually took the Stanley Cup to this ice bar where they've got now girls around them and I've got a fur coat on. <laughs> I wonder who, who he should have checked over here. <laughs> and then <laughs> I looked down at my favorite Hockey fans. The entire bar was lined with guys in Kings jerseys. We quickly realized, oh my gosh, this is the dad's trip. And we bring unique hockey stories to light. Coming back to England, 24 right. rings in the entire country. That's where the problem starts with the sport of ice hockey here. Canadian Blind Hockey Association, those few kids we interviewed, their whole week is built around Sunday at the rink. They're just hockey players. We don't agree on everything. Pineapple goes on pizza. <gasps> no, it does not. <laughs> I think it does. Well, we do agree that there are many people and places that build the House of Hockey. New episodes every Tuesday. Come on in to the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Yeah, listen, I, I'm a conspiracy theory guy. I was always obsessed <laughs> with aliens. I had a Bigfoot book when I was younger of all the sightings around the country. I love all that stuff. I, I and this goes right up there with I mean this is this one was tough for me to wrap my head around um it just seemed like one big conspiracy uh Igor tweaked something I obviously the NHL does a really good job at hiding players injuries and keeping those private you know li literally saying it's just an upper body or lower body injury and now in this bubble they just say it's unfit to play um I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing I'm just saying that's that's what they do um, I, I honestly think this is up there with, you know, um, area 51 and Bigfoot, like this, the bubble, <laughs> there was a conspiracy to get Hank to play the last games because now it's, I, I believe this now because I see the rumblings of Hank retiring and I don't want to get into the future of the New York Rangers, but I do think there might've been a phone call made saying, put Hank in, let's give him one last shot. It's a it's, he he has proved himself in the past against Carolina. Carolina this year was his best game by a long shot. One of the yeah. best games that I, I might honestly say ever seen him play. I mean, it was that impressive. Um, so yeah, that that's that's my mentality. I'm sticking to it. There's you can't convince <laughs> me otherwise, Andy. And honestly, yeah, it helps me. People turn to conspiracy theories to help them cope with things that they can't explain. And this is this is one of them for me. Well, yeah, and and I think this is one of the most disappointing things is that I don't think Lundqvist was good in game two, but I thought he was good in game one, and he was good enough. Uh, I thought he was good enough for them to at least hold them in to win because, like, I think he within knowing what we know about Lundqvist, where his abilities are at, some of the saves he was making, like, you know, it's he was fine game one. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, yeah, and they was, that's they he they didn't give him enough support to win. And clearly, Igor's uh, didn't. Igor, you know, it happened. What happened to him in uh, in game two and game one happened to Igor in game three. And Igor's supposed to be you know miles better uh, at this point in their careers, but it is like it just kind of goes to show that like I. Yeah, there were some goals that all goalies could have had. There's some goals I think Igor probably misplayed. And but at this, the end of the day, 
there, yeah, and there were some goals that Hank misplayed, but everyone I hear see harping on this, like, oh, he, like, that goal he gave up to, like, it deflated them. Like, I don't give a, like, it could have come off a crazy bounce. Like, doesn't matter. Like, it just literally, that's the mental component of this whole thing was what was the most disappointing to me, that they were mental, they were soft. They were incre- incredibly, like, if this should have been, they should have felt like even in every game that, you know what, we got nothing to lose. Like, we weren't supposed to be here. They didn't manufacture, especially because you you hear, you know, you, you up top you spoke about uh, Montreal and Chicago, like upsets. And literally in their post thing is that we they kept saying is like we wanted to prove everyone wrong. We wanted to show them we we still had it, or like we felt like we were the underdogs and we had something to prove. What did the New York Rangers? They didn't. It, I didn't see it. They weren't proving anything. They they were just like we were. Ho- they were hoping to go on a run here and recapture some magic. Are you kidding me? Like, what the, you know, it's just, you know, and again, I don't know if that has to do with the fact that they are such a young team and they are such new faces and it's like a transitional period, but it's up to the the room to like hold each other accountable. And honestly, I don't, even if the, the like, even if the, the top six and the older guys were ineffective, I would have at least you can tell when someone is like ineffective or getting neutralized, but you can say they see they're trying like Justin Williams flat out made every superstar on the Rangers look like, you know, dog crap. Yeah. <laughs> A guy who sits on who's been sitting in ice all year. And yes, it's easy when everyone else on your team is very good or is, is, is like pulling the same rope. But the fact that every face off, he's doing just the, the easiest thing to do and the most simple thing to do. And like, yeah, I know it's like a, a meme at this point is like, you know, pucks deep, go to the net, create havoc, you know, havoc. But like, it's just, he literally, they would pay the camera would pan to him. The camera would pan to Mika looking frustrated or, or kind of upset about things not going their way. And then it would pan to Justin Williams and his eyes are glazed over. Cause he's literally like obsessed with like being, you know, even though he's, 40 whatever he is now he's obsessed with you know them winning you know and it's just where is that same fire i just didn't see it and that's really it's really upsetting and you know i i like you i like you said i don't know if it's exactly fair to judge uh guys like you know panarin's a good player panarin although he's only had i think limited playoff experience maybe one season with I, I forgot if Columbus got in both years he was there, but you know, and he only played one with Chicago, but you know, he had some, he was pretty good last, you know, in Columbus's last season, last year, he had some good OT goals and he, he was good. So, and you know, I thought Mika was good when the Rangers won in his first year against the, the Canadians in the first round, but then, you know, they obviously lost Ottawa, but it's just, I would have liked to see some fire in and not like a man, like just a, a fake fire. Like, you know, I don't know. I just want to see the desperation and I just didn't see it. And I just saw more defeat and really, I don't know, really just grunt. It really rubbed me the wrong way, obviously, as I'm, I'm mumbling about it for five minutes. But yeah. yeah. All right. So to wrap up the goaltending and listen, Hank played well in game one. He earned himself a start in game two, whether or not Igor was ready um, at that point, it doesn't really matter. He gave up soft goals in game two. Yeah, but it is what it is. Like yeah. the Rangers weren't putting him in very good like spots. 
I would argue to say that you could see the breakdown in front of them that led to the goal. Yeah. You know, it, that's, that's why the goals happen. You know, Hank didn't make the save that you're used to him making 15 times a game during, you know, some of our incredible playoff runs, you know? Yeah. He didn't bail us out this time, but it, that shouldn't ever be the fucking reason why we <laughs> win a playoff series. Exactly. Like when are we ever going to have a playoff series where, you know, you know, a player like McDavid, you know, wills his team to win by having five points. Like you need those effort in the playoffs. There's a reason why the hockey playoffs are the the best playoffs in all sports because it's they're always memorable. Anything can happen. People step up. People that you don't expect step up. Uh, All stars step up. It's 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 such a team game, and it's so amazing to see things come together. And for once. Can it just please be the New York Rangers? Even when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals and they had those playoff runs, you just never felt like totally confident going in. You're just like, well, I hope just to hang, we hang on. Like, it's just, that's, you know, it's just, you need need someone to step up on the offensive side of the puck. We needed someone to really step up and play shutdown defense and that we can ride 35 minutes a game on the on the defensive end. We didn't we don't have that still. Like yeah. and all right. So let's get into the defense a little bit. Sure. Um unless you had something else that you wanted to add. No, um, let's yeah, let's get into it. All right. So obviously the story of the series was Mark Stahl. Clearly the worst player on the ice in the series in the bubble in the NHL. He, I feel bad. He, the guy's been a warrior his entire career. He's just not, he's not good. He has not been himself, you know, in a long time. And it really showed this, this series. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause it does feel like every year it's like, we keep saying like, oh man, like, you know, he's, yeah, but yeah, I just, I, someone had posted like uh stalls, stats for the for the three games and oh man i think he was on the goal he was on the ice for like eight goals against and like yeah five and five carolina uh five goals against 37.1 Corsi four which is not is terrible and uh 21 expected goals for which is insanely low it's just yeah i mean it's just you know and the harping on the fact that they didn't give him a stick like, are you like? That's not why they gave up that goal because they couldn't get you know the almighty Mark Stahl a stick in time. Like I trust a guy, a guy with foot speed, and you know who can actually win a fifty-fifty battle to clear a puck before Mark Stahl can, who's half blind and and has a stick that's you know as long as a uh, as one of those gondola uh, paddles that you see in Venice. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> You're going to give, you're going to give that, you know, give a six foot four Mark Stahl, you know, run, you know, who's going to, you know, Panarin's going to hand him a stick or something like it's just so, I mean, honestly, it was the smartest move the rain. It was the best, <laughs> probably move, the smartest move they made all series. It was not giving him a stick. I can actually yeah. say that was the best play in the defensive zone. I know it led to a goal, but it was the best smartest move. I think it gave them the best chance of getting out. Cause honestly, when Mark Stahl is out there, you're already down a man. So, all right, you're down a man. It's five on four, technically, when he's out there. 
Now you take away a stick from a guy. It's hard playing five on four with one of your four guys without a stick. And Mark Stoll just waving it around. Hopefully the puck hits him and it doesn't go in. And constantly, the entire series, he doesn't even push people out of the way in the right direction. He's constantly playing catch up, you know, in, in terms of getting body position on guys. Like, he's too slow. He's too flat-footed. Sometimes he can make a decent play, like going up the boards, like, and chipping the puck up and stuff like that. But th- that's it. Like, you get that maybe twice a game. The guy is awful. Awful. And the fact that Quinn dressed him all three games, like, is this was, again, I don't want to be a conspiracy theory. Although, you know, the government just said they just found, you know, spacecraft from, you know, uh, non-Earth origin. I'm telling you, this was a this was a send off to Stahl and Hank because it's beyond me of why they they got to play. It really is. And now we're talking about Stahl, but, you know, it's again, mind numbing that Quinn could sit there and let that guy go on the ice in a playoff atmosphere against a team who, you know, is so sound defensively and structured that, you know, you need youth, you need speed, you need creativity, you need someone to that has the ability to rush the puck and break those traps. Stahl doesn't offer any of that. Talk to me, yeah, Andy. It just doesn't. I just, you know, considering some of the treatment Lundquist has gotten this year, and listen, I'm not saying it's it undeserved or that the Rangers shouldn't do it, but the fact that this year there were so many moments of like, wow, the Rangers are actually like not playing Lundquist or letting him sit on the bench, and for what he means for this organization, the fact that Stahl somehow seems to be there's, I don't know what's worse, the fact that they're like, oh, he's like a veteran and he's earned, you know, he's earned the respect to be there or the fact that they're like, no, he is a good, he's good defensively. He's just not a, you know, a good offensive guy. Like, I don't know what's worse, to be honest. The fact that they can't see that, you know, he, I, you know, I think him and Jack Johnson, no surprise, were the two worst defenders, uh, through the, the play for the plans. They both were horrendous. And, um, it's just I don't yeah like you said it just baffles my mind. It's like it's not even if you're not a, a a fancy stats person and there's plenty of not like he doesn't pass the eye test. You can easily say who had the lowest TOI time on ice. It's like oh Mark Stahl was one of the lowest, but he's also conceded one of the most goals. Then you can go oh well he plays on the penalty kill, but here are players that also play on the penalty kill and play more minutes than him and are not conceding as many goals as him. It's just and this was only a three game sample size. It's not even a huge. Sample size, if anything, you could say it, you, it would be easier to say like, oh, well, maybe it's a fluke. But then you look at how staggering he is compared to the, the guy next to him. And, you know, I mean, at t- you know, the fact that he's played with Tony, who you decide to the guy with a hamstring injury, you're going to put with Mark Stahl. Are you kidding me? Like he's going to, you know, oh, don't worry, Tony. I know you're, you're not 100 percent. So Mark, Mark's going to do the heavy lifting. If you can't, if you can't skate the way you usually can, I just, you know, I know we're not talking about Quinn yet, but, uh, man, oh man, it was just, it's yeah. To your point, it's just, it's, it, it's, you can see it from space that like, that yeah. it's not working. It hasn't been working for years. He's got one year left. It'll be interesting to see if they're, if they're, you know, this'll be everyone. It's tough because the a buyout doesn't, 
really do much for the Rangers. It's almost better to wait it out. But at the same time, it's like, that's financially, but financials and team morale and spots and, and forging a new identity away from being this bad is a totally different thing, right? So... Yeah, and listen, again, that's I said my piece with Mark Stahl. All these negative feelings are coming back up into my gut and my heart, and you know I need to kind of move on from Mark Stahl at the moment uh, until he's back next year ruining my life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tony D'Angelo being put with him. Obviously, Tony was hurt. I mean, he was a shell of himself. And if he yeah. wasn't hurt, holy, he needs to look in the mirror because he, he was playing like Anthony and not Tony. We need the Tony. We need Tony D. I need the guy that's rushing up in the plays, going back door and, you know, tapping them in or making long stretch passes D to D. And the the guy who had the swagger and and, and gave the Rangers a little bit of, you know, uh, grit and identity on, on the back end. You know, he played like a leader all season long. I mean, some of the stuff that he did, I mean, warranted himself, a, you know, a decent contract. Yeah. I, I, I don't I'm know how good. hurt he was, but. It says he had a, the hamstring injury was pretty pretty aggravating and it's a hamstring so for skating you can see how bad because oh, it's know, like he just yeah but I, that was the biggest thing is that he looked timid which mm-hmm. you know i think tony you would think that if he, he could be missing a foot but if he i you can you know it, if you could tell it took him off his game so i'm gonna i i will give him a pass okay but yep. he is on probation you know i would hope that at the very least like i think you would hope that in terms of negotiating his next contract that it gives the Rangers pause because, you know, I've, I've gone on record saying on this podcast saying like, I like Tony, but you know, I, I do worry sometimes that because he's such a flashy, brashy, gaudy, offensive guy. And not that he's terrible defensively, but even at, even like when he's healthy, it's like, he's a good offensive producer and, you know, maybe on the other side of the puck and eh, not so much, but because he's still a net positive because he, you know, he's such a good, he's good at producing offense. Yeah. But yeah, I just hope it, it really, you have to ask yourself, this team has like, you can tell now that the Rangers for years, not having offensive firepower got out and went out and got a lot of skill guys, which is great. But at the same time, there needs to be that balance. And, you know, you need you need the guys that can keep things steady until so your offensive players can can flourish. You know what I mean? So, you know, just something to keep in mind. But I will as he didn't look like himself. He didn't play this way all season. Like I've seen Stahl look terrible all season. So that was not a surprise to me. Um, So I'm I'm just I'll give a Tony a mulligan on this one if, if he was indeed hurt. I don't really know for sure. But at the same time, you know, you got to hope that this is not because you know everything else about his uh mentality and his swagger this season says that this would that was not the same guy we were looking at yeah so all right to kind of round out the the other de- uh, defensemen um truba i thought our top three defensemen were truba lindgren and smitty i you know i really i really did i thought fox was kind of just meh yeah you know he, i thought i thought adam fox was good in the last game but, yeah, but again, nothing. No, of course not. Yeah, I mean, he was just there. I kind of felt like you know. I hope he took this all in. I hope he learned something from this. I like again. I know we differed on this. You thought it was a positive for the Rangers. I thought it could have been so bad that it actually was a negative. Like where they question their ability to play hockey. That's like and their heart and whether or not yeah. it's worth it. 
I uh, mean, that's how I personally felt. No, I, I, mean, I, actually, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think, no, it's not an overreaction. I don't think you're wrong because I do think, you know, you, it's like, I think it's a, obviously a positive, it, it's a negative, but I think the, the silver lining is that it might force them to reevaluate guys that they're gung ho on. The problem is we know what we know about the evaluation. They might be like, oh, yeah, Brett Howden. And, you know, they, it seems like they always pick the wrong guys, you know? So, yeah. But uh, first, say some positives about um, uh, Truba and Smitty and Truba and Smitty. So I mean, first I, off, Ryan Lindegren really impressed me. Um, he's, you know, listen, he's been playing with Fox. I think on paper, if you look at, uh, you know, Lindegren kind of is what he is. He's like a should should probably be a second to third pairing in terms of just his natural ability guy. But. He clearly is a guy who, like Truba, who we'll get to, flourishes when he likes having pressure on him because he shuts his brain off and he just plays. And I think he's better when he's doing that. So I thought he was good. I liked, I liked how I, I I'm increasingly impressed with how much more mobile he's gotten and that he's worked on that so much. Uh, so I, I saw him skate a lot of pucks out of trouble. I saw him make a lot of smart, easy, basic passes. I saw him be dogging on pucks. I just I liked everything I saw. Like. You know, he's not a gaudy player, but that's why he's been perfect with Fox, who is, because he just does what, you know, he shuts his brain off. He makes the, the obvious play and that's it. And I thought he was good. And Truba, the same reason. Truba this year has looked lackadaisical at times. But when you're leaning on him and he gets pissed off, you see him throw forearm shivers and use his strength and outscape pucks and put pucks on net with authority. And that's when he's at his best. So that's I think that at least bodes well after, you know, the the tough season he's had where he, it's been hard for him to kind of he's been so up and down. But, you know, I don't know. You know, you got to hope he finds that swagger moving forward and he can you can you can consistently tap into it because I thought he was good. You know, yeah. And again, you know, Tony puts him in a bad spot in that last goal and he's on the wall and he ends up getting walked a bit, you know, but. It is what it is, you know. You're gonna make mistakes, but you know he he at least showed up. I thought for every game and had maybe a misplay, but I thought. And Smitty, listen, at this point, Brennan Smith is what he is. We know what he is. He's probably a a he's a third pairing defenseman, you know, who has <laughs> occasionally gets he gets himself into trouble because he overestimates his abilities or tries to do too much. But again, he's another guy that wasn't. He wasn't afraid to make mistakes. He just played. You have to play. And honestly, that that hit on Svechnikov was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Like, you know, that's that takes guts and balls. But, you know, for a team that was collapsing in on itself the whole time, he said, no, I'm going to take it to him. We're going the other way. Because that first game, they come out with so much like a house of fire, but they're just throwing hits all over the place with no rhyme or reason. Like, that's a smart hit. It was clean. It separated the man from the puck. It stopped a, it neutralized a, you know, a good chance of them coming back with numbers. It was a beautiful hit. And just, yeah, I like the fact that he's not afraid to, to mix it up. It's just, he shouldn't have to be, you know, we shouldn't be, I think the problem I have philosophically is that like we should, I'm so glad he stepped up, but when he's one of your best defensemen, that's such a, it's a huge problem. So. Exactly. And it's a guy who, we had a big a forward question. most of the year. We yeah. forward most of the year and just a question mark on where he actually belonged on this roster. So, and it, it's like frustrating. It's because it's like, you know, you see the guys that are getting, you know, all the praise and, and, and all the glory all season long. And then when it's time for the playoffs to show up, 
it's the guys who had the quite you know the question marks on them that stepped up like come on now like this is this is silly like you know Lind- Lindgren wasn't in every game uh wasn't dressing every game you know he he was up and down Smitty didn't even know what position he was playing all, all season but he steps up you know Truba again you know we kind of paid him all that money and honestly I will take the regular season that Truba had if this is the intensity and in the, the grittiness and, you know, just, you know, the kind of, he, he played with a swagger. I'll take that in the playoffs. If that's what we get during the regular season, we could survive with, with what he did during the regular season. If we got this Truba in the playoffs, cause I thought he was excellent. I thought he, you know, was, you know, kind of made me be like, okay, he wasn't a total, you know, waste bringing him here. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that's it for the, the, you know, the defenseman. I mean, do you have any other, you know, takeaways from it? You know, it's just the fact that, look, on paper, New York's defense is not figured out yet. It's a combination of too old and too young at the same time. And guys who that in a perfect world, you know, Mark Stahl is, is retired, uh, Brendan Smith is either your seventh defenseman or he is like your, you know, D'Angelo's not hurt. Uh, Brendan Smith is your step-in defenseman or like the guy who rides shotgun on your third pair, you know, in a pinch. Yeah, and could jump and up and so, play forward. Yeah, so I understand this. I think the problem is that defense, you know, we, as as the NHL hurdles onward and onward, positionless hockey is becoming more of a thing in that you defend as a five man unit. It doesn't matter who's where that was the biggest, the one of the biggest things that stood out to me is how good Carolina was with their sticks, the positioning, knocking down pucks as they were, you know, in the air, uh, chipping pucks to, to support teammates, knowing where their, where their teammates were. And I think this is, that's probably the best uh, segue to, to the coach in that, why I don't understand, you know, and I, I knew, listen, when they hired David Quinn, there was a part of me that said, Andy, that they're going to hire a coach to develop these kids. And that's good. You're probably going to pull your hair out based on some of the things you see him doing X's and O's wise. But you hope that the payout will be that because he coaches them well on an individual basis that they will develop the skills and round up to the players they need to be to have someone come in and put the polishing on them at a later date. Well, it feels like it's finally starting to get to that point because some, from an X's and O's standpoint, the fact that in order to, in order to be successful, like it feels like the Rangers system needs to, it has to be a track meet that the Rangers have to win. They have to do everything faster. Whereas other teams, they I feel like they have you know I feel like Carolina, the Rangers were pretty much holding on to the puck most of that last game, and Carolina was just pure defending. But it just felt like they were able to just tread water and then when it was advantageous for them to do so, turn it on and immediately hem the Rangers in for as long as they wanted to. It was just, it basically just made them, it just made, their system makes the game easier for them. Whereas the Rangers system, I almost feel like in order to be successful has to be like, they have to, it has to be a track meet. It's like, I never know. There's never consistent outlet options. There's like guys, you know, moving targets are never there. There's never any support. Like, I don't understand. Like it's kind of AV system. I didn't like towards the end because they clearly didn't have the horses, but I kind of knew what it was is that you stretch that man high to, to kind of force 
the defense to respect it because if there's no one there, then you have your you know you have an instant almost three on one or three on two. But I just at times I don't know what Quinn's system is like. Guys don't move up the ice together. They like there's not a, a man static to as a breakout option. You don't have like false targets. Like you don't have guys swinging like. Guys will swing low and then like they don't make that initial pass. You know, when they're hemmed in their own zone, it guys are always receiving their pucks on their like with their backs up the ice. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't know what they're supposed to do because it's like it's just every single thing is just not there was nothing was Quinn didn't make anything easier for them. Like at no point was like this is not working. They are doing this. So let's slow down our pace of play and make sure we're really making those passes instead of trying to play at such a pace that they're missing every pass because they're gripping their sticks too tight. Like where are the adjustments? I don't like, I just don't get it. Like as bad as, as the players were like, I think Quinn didn't do them any favors, you know? And yeah, no adjustments were made. I don't know if that's fear of like, or pride of like, I'm not changing my system. We're not going to do things differently. But there, it just seems like there are little things that could have been done. I didn't see much of anything done except his, his occasional, like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, we, oh, we're in the offensive zone. Yeah. Now putting Panarin on Mika's wing. Yeah. That's some next level coaching. You know, a pairing that outside of on the power play hasn't worked out at even strength, like barely, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, all right. To, the coaching overall was atrocious. I mean, from the players he had on the ice to, and like, listen, there's one thing, there's one, there's two ways to go about this. And the way Quinn approached it was that he's just going to play everyone and there's going to be real no, you know, uh, there's no threat. And if you're playing poorly, you're going to be benched because there wasn't any of that. Like he, he let stall play the entire time. So you can't say that, you know, he was, you know, trying to manipulate the the bench in a way where he was only taking the guys that were, you know, showing up to play because he didn't do any of that. So there was no bench management in terms of the structure and our system. Listen, Carolina is very well coached and you're you're 100 percent right. And this is the stuff that I'm talking about in terms of why, why we needed Tony to step up is that uh, and, and, you know, he didn't he didn't step up in terms of like you know, the, you know, North South game that we're so used to him playing is that when a team is going to sit back and let you make your own mistakes and just you play yourself right out of the play, then you're going to be fucked long-term because the Rangers didn't have a system to break it. They didn't have the horses to, you know, kind of wheel and deal and kind of make it a foot race that I feel like the Rangers sometimes benefit from, you know, they can play that North South game with some of the players that they had. Um, And, you know, they do have players that can have the ability to drive the net and stuff like that, but you didn't see any of that. You know, one line you felt like just start throwing, you know, all the pucks on net and you start seeing like a little bit of offense. And then the next three lines that went out there, you saw them trying to play a puck possession game along the perimeter and, you know, Carolina just waited for you to make a mistake or, or send it into a dead zone and they would win the battle and they would outnumber the puck in their own zone. And, you know, you even saw that on the power. I mean, the Rangers power play was so bad. They were getting outnumbered with a man down along the boards. Listen, if Carolina sends two guys to the puck and you're, 
you send three. If they send three, you send four. If they send all four guys to the puck, you send all five guys. You're up a man. You have an extra guy. You should never be outnumbered ever along the boards or anywhere on in a in a power play situation. That's unacceptable. That's bad coaching, and that's something that you can address in between periods. It's not that like that difficult. The Rangers didn't do that. They didn't have you know sometimes you know you do play matchups and different lines have different systems. You know some lines will be playing a trap, but the Rangers were the team that needed to play catch up. We needed to be able to dictate the play and we didn't dictate anything. We we gave them the neutral zone at times when we shouldn't have. And, you know, you saw how important the neutral zone was, you know, during the regular season and how it's that driving in that far lane, dumping the puck in, getting to the puck first, winning one-on-one battles along the boards. You saw how the Rangers were able to do that and were able to win hockey games. They didn't do it through defensive structure like the Carolina Hurricanes just did where they just waited you out because the Rangers have no defense. They depended on that north-south game, and you, you just didn't see it. There was no, yeah. nothing. And there was no adjustments made. You're 100% right. When, what was Quinn doing? Yeah. You know, and I think the other thing is that the Rangers, in terms of some of their skill guys, like from the either from the back end with, with uh, Fox and – and uh, Tony being on the ice at different times. And then with the skill in the top six, they can make little feather plays that, uh, that honestly outside of Carolina's first line, those guys couldn't make. Cause honestly, outside of obviously Svechnikov and uh-huh. Aho and uh, Tara Vine, and obviously they're skilled and all tremendous, you know, Aho punked the Rangers in this, uh, in the play-ins and Svechnikov for that matter. But I didn't really see, much panache and flash from the you know the other Carolina's other three lines but it didn't matter they didn't have to it's just like but at the same time it's like I the Rangers can do the I feel like the Rangers top six had the ability to do things to break Carolina's neutral zone pressure and that collapsing and the layers of defense and the everyone hounding the puck because we saw it I think just a little bit yeah just a little bit of just a little bit of patience it's you, you, and I think you saw that more in Game Three, the way they were finally able to get behind them because they were just they had no choice but to play with abandon, mm-hmm. like little feather, like just uh, just having that support there. You know, you make get the you make the first pass, you eliminate that first uh, four checker, and then then you have a little bit more options. Like you can, you know, and the Rangers were like you said, they were doing that all season. They just weren't doing it here. And at the end of the day. It's just you had three games to 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 somehow tap into that, and I you know listen, I I Quinn is on my my shit list for how he performed. I don't think he's he definitely doesn't obfuscate blame, but he said two things that were I thought were right. He said one, the Rangers only played three periods, uh, you know the Rangers only played three good three periods out of nine, and they only looked like the New York Rangers for two two of those three periods, and that's it. Like they. <sighs> You know, obviously, it's one of those things that it's like, it's it's always more, it's all it's always easier and more complicated at the same time than we make it out as fans and neutral observers, I guess. But like, I think, yeah, just to kind of to get back to what you and I are saying is that it's like, I don't mind losing. It's just they had so many areas. It's like even if they're like, oh, they lost every game, but I could see them doing their best to defend. They just got overwhelmed. It's just, it just, yeah, it was just too much. It was death by a thousand cuts in my book. I don't think it was because 
there's just one thing that, you know, there are plenty of areas I wanted to see them look good in. Honestly, I thought it's the thing is that I expected them to kind of the areas I expected them to look bad and I thought they weren't so bad. And then the areas I expected them to at least look borderline good, they were flat out horrendous. In. And that's, I think, the biggest issue to me is that, you know, I almost would have expected them to like be too focused on defense and maybe not stretch themselves out enough offensively, but they almost like just they couldn't get puck touches. They couldn't feel the puck and you saw what happened. They could barely score goals and they could barely defend at the same time. It was just, ugh, just it was, it was ugly. Yeah. And, and you know, like sometimes, you know, you know, growing up playing hockey and stuff like that, there are games where sometimes you harp too much on the little details and things kind of fall apart. You know, if it's the players that, you know, uh, aren't creative within the system that they're being taught. And, you know, if you're taught X's and O's and you're constantly always in the, you know, the positions where you're supposed to be, but you can't adapt to, uh, you know, like an audible in football, like if you can't adapt to what you're seeing, then you're going to get crushed and you're always going to be out of position and teams with experience and with some skill can expose you. And, you know, that's kind of what I felt like with the New York Rangers at times was that, you know, were they just playing the system in which Quinn had? almost to to a t where you know they weren't adapting you know what i mean like you said to keep a guy high it's like yeah not when you know it's a one-on-one battle and you know the guy needs an outlet pass to you know to push it up the board so we win possession of the puck you know it's like there are certain things like that you have to do to adapt to you know what the other team is throwing at you and the rangers didn't do that uh they completely gave up the neutral zone at times. And I thought the neutral zone could have been their bread and butter, especially you said it perfect. Again, their Carolina's second, third and fourth line are, are nothing to write home about. And they could have dominated those lines and played, you know, a little bit more of a tighter structure with the other, uh, you know, more um, skilled players, especially Aho. My God, he's good. And, you know, just, just overall the Rangers, I don't know if it was from a lack of experience, a lack of understanding of what Quinn was trying to do, a lack of explanation from Quinn. I, I don't know, but that's it's unacceptable. I mean, you're pro athletes. This isn't, you know, children playing youth hockey. Like, if you're not going to perform, you're you're done. So, you know, I think the Rangers as a team need to kind of like look in the mirror and see, you know, what their identity is and what they're going to be doing to move forward to address this because it's great to, you know, be that team of underdogs during the regular season and try to catch fire and, and catch teams off guard. But you see what happens in a, in a, in a playoff series when a team can defend you, you know, and they know they're defending you night in and night out and they build, you know, a system to shut you down and you can't catch a team off guard or can't catch a period uh, where you just get hot and can outscore the other team. You know what I mean? Like this is big boy hockey. This is, you know, this is why, you know, you know, the teams at the end of the year, you're like, Oh my God, how can anyone ever beat them in a seven game series? It's because, you know, they put it all together. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is that the cup winners always show that they, going to each series they can keep their style but they can just adjust just enough to play the other team's game but still be confident that they can beat them at the end of the day is that they like all right you want to like make it impossible for us to do this well we're content to to play it as tight 
play tight with you as long as possible. And the second one of your guys makes a mistake and they will, then we have more skill and we can turn it on. And I think it's the biggest thing. I honestly think if the Rangers had played, I don't know if they would, would have won, but I think if they had just, instead of being like, you could see, just feel the nerves coming off of them, like the whole series and the tension. I think if they were just content to like, kind of just make sure to play, like, play with not like next they constantly that feeling of it's next goal wins like you could feel that coming oozing out of the rangers pores and hence they'd always get deflated like you know like a patriots football every time um something went wrong like if they have the confidence to say we're just gonna like hang with them we're not gonna be the first one to make a mistake because we ultimately know that they're gonna mess up and they're gonna put us on the power well that's the other thing for the power play how many more chances can you get like to be flat out awful. Yes, they it they took a five on three for them to to finally score a power play goal. Um, it's just yeah, but like honestly, hell, if that's what you what it took, just like why didn't you know? And that's the thing. They Carolina took plenty of penalties. They're an aggressive team, so they take penalties. Especially game one. That game was winnable. If you if you just go yeah, and that's the if you yeah if they went if they were well, how many power plays did the Rangers have like I, six? Yeah, <laughs> six. They had six. If they power get scored two power play goals. I mean, thirty percent is not crazy, you know. No. That's usually the team that wins the game. Yeah, you know, thirty percent. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, like playoffs again. Special teams is so important, and nothing showed up. Nothing was there. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like, ah, oh, man. I mean, you know, Carolina can't beat that power play. We took too many penalties. It was like, no. It was just flat out everywhere on the ice. They just seemed to be able to have their way with us, and the glimpses that they gave us. They were there to shut it down after one little flurry of, of an opportunity. And, and you know, you got to build on that. You got, I mean, how does Reamer look like? He looks like, you know, Patrick Wah out there in his prime. Yeah. Like, I mean, how? How is that possible? Like, you know, I, I do like there was obviously a lot, a lot of gripping the sticks as well for when they finally did have wide yawning cages and wide open chances. I saw Panarin shank some shots that he wouldn't have shanked normally. It's just, yeah, I just think that it's like when they say it's like in the walls, it's kind of that. I just think it that this that mentality of like we're a little out of our depth here kind of permeated through the entire team. And it was honestly, I think it was up to the guys up top down, not to not even to produce so much, but just to combat that with like, look, we're getting chances or look at this. Look at Mika, you know, making moves to break through that a skilled play to break through that pressure, then get a shot on goal. Like I barely saw any of that, you know? And I think that's the biggest problem is that it's, they're just, you know, it shouldn't be up to the, the guys we, the here, the, the, our unsung heroes who we praised, it shouldn't be up to them. And it was unfortunately, because I think they just, they were the only ones who were really like, all right, we're up to the task. And, you know, and maybe it's, we're coming down hard on a lot of guys right now. Uh, and that's kind of the unfortunate reality of it because it's like, you know, guys aren't going to be hot all year. Some guys are going to bound to have bad playoff series. And if they had gone farther, maybe they would have rebounded. But, you know, it does honestly, it doesn't really matter. I think at the end of the day, we now see, I hope you'd hope they realize, okay, this is what it is. And this is how we approached it. And it literally didn't serve us at all. So you have to hope that if they ever find themselves in this position again, they won't play it the same way they will they'll play as if 
they'll play as if it's something they want to win and as something that they don't want to lose. And I think that's, yeah, I think they honestly, they played that they didn't want to be the team that lost and not that they wanted to win, you know? And, you know, and that's the thing. I think Carolina is going to be hard out. I would not be, do we know who Carolina's next round opponent is yet, James? Uh, no, I don't. Um, they they reseed obviously. So Carolina's there's next. a there's a game today, right? Because Washington's playing at where James and I are recording this on the Sunday before this comes out. So um, I'm just uh, I guess they'd be seated above Toronto or the Blue Jackets, obviously, and then I guess they would play. The oh, it's Boston or Washington. So it's whoever wins the game. The playing. bottom two. Yeah, um, I don't see them rolling over either Boston or Washington. But I mean, if they beat one of those, you know, two of the, the best teams in the league, like it, that'd be a hard out. But doesn't again, it's not a, it's they not beat an the excuse. Caps last year, so who knows? Yeah, listen, and I don't think Caps are any better like than they were. No, it's you know they could arguably be a little worse. It doesn't honestly. Whatever happens to Carolina, even if they win the whole thing, it doesn't matter. Like I, I think I don't want it to get lost that it's like, oh, you know, well, they end up one. They were clearly better. Yeah, they were clearly better. I don't care about that. I don't care that, that they're better. I care about that. There were little things, the Rangers that were within their control that they didn't do. They, I, if the Rangers had put up a full, full effort and it wasn't good enough and because they just weren't as flat out good, it is what it is. It sucks. And it is what it is, but that's, wasn't the case. Like, I don't even know if you make those adjustments. If you, even if everything went to plan, you could say, well, you know what? The Rangers are just, this guy's too young and this guy's too old and it is what it is. And they're just not as deep. And it, but that's, yeah, I, I don't care about that. I just care about there were things that little things that you just need to do that will are things that you shouldn't have to be taught that you need to do to, to win, you know, to put up a fight, like you said, like those other teams did. And the Rangers didn't do that. And that's, it's sad, but, you know, hopefully this is, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, you have to wonder that I know it's around Robin, but how a team like Toronto looks after, I'm sorry, how a team like Tampa looks after getting embarrassed, uh, by Columbus, you know, last season. So, and getting, uh, swept, you know, after winning the president's trophy. So I guess we'll see, right? Yeah. It's going to be an interesting rest of the way for everyone else. Um, obviously, you know, after having to deal with Carolina, we're certainly going to have the, we're going to be watching those games a little bit differently, you know, knowing, you know, what they're capable of doing and, and see who, you know, you know, what they do against their next opponent. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also one of those things where, you know, you do see, you know, the Canadians and the Blackhawks and the Coyotes, you know, the teams that everyone kind of scoffed at, you know, doing anything in the playoffs and you see their success in the, in the qualifying round. And it's kind of, you know, kind of frustrating to watch those teams move on and, and see us so unsuccessful, um, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from those organizations. You know, they obviously played well enough to win, but you know, um, I, I can't say that the Rangers are, are, are a worse team than they are. You know what I mean? So um, it's just frustrating seeing those, their teams kind of come together and, uh, you know, fight for that respect. And then the Rangers, you know, who everyone thought, you know, had a shot just completely disintegrate. So, well, 
as we set our sights, uh, if you're listening to this Monday morning, uh, tonight the draft lottery is on, and the Rangers are one of uh, the teams that have a, what is it, 12.5, 12.8% chance? 12.8% chance at... 12.5. Uh, 12.5, excuse me. Yeah. Jesus, my math is horrible. 12.5% chance at winning the first overall pick and potentially direct, uh, drafting Alexi Lafreniere. Um, based on the other teams, it worked out that, you know, at the Rangers, the worst spot the Rangers could pick in now is 11 if they do not win first overall, which is which is good. Things worked out in the Rangers' favor pretty well in that regard because I do think 11 is a much more enviable spot to be in than uh, 13, or 12, 13, or 14 because I think, you know... Uh, I look at the talent in that top 10 uh, and we won't harp on this too much. Cause I know we're going to wrap things up, but you look at the talent in the top 10 and you have to figure that there are team between teams selecting uh, a goaltender like Askarov. Cause that's a big need teams have multiple firsts. The Rangers have, will have multiple firsts. So you do wonder if it puts them in a better spot to maybe tr- if there's a guy they really covet to trade up, but, and get, but yeah, I just think, no matter what happens, whether they win Lafreniere uh, or they don't and Pittsburgh wins it, and I, James and I stop watching hockey um, in protest. I'll be done. I will that, be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that there's, there will, the chances are that there will be, get a player that can really make a difference. Uh, you know, especially the more I, I, the more I, I ruminate on how things went, the more it makes me want a, a center like Anton Lundell, who, although maybe not the most stout offensively, is just extremely good defensively. Because, you know, as time goes by, uh, time goes by, time goes by. James and I, you know, you you've heard us harp on the fact that the, the Rangers need a good defensive center like a young Couturier or a Dvorak. You know, just these guys that when they are on the ice, it doesn't matter that they are they are keeping their team even and they are pushing play in a positive direction despite not having maybe the skills to like score anything more than, you know, 35 to 40 points a season. But I, you know, when you get to the postseason and you see all these guys that were such good, uh, skilled finesse, one touch players kind of get neutralized, you kind of realize, Oh, I think you're going to need more guys that can really put tip the scales in the other direction. So to allow them to play their game. So, you know, not the worst thing in the world. There'll definitely be good players available, so uh, our fingers are crossed. So if you're listening to this on Monday, you watch the draft lottery. I don't know, care if you have to put your, you know, your rally caps on, whatever weird ritual you have. Look, but let's all hope the Rangers can win first overall, or uh, you know, or just at least that Pittsburgh doesn't win. That's all I can really hope for, right? So, uh, yeah, James, right. any final thoughts? Um, just you know, obviously the. Our tune next next uh, next podcast could be a little bit different depending on where this draft goes. And <laughs> yeah, you ain't kidding. And you know, again, you know, we kind of just wanted to focus on the the playoff, like the the qualifying round this podcast. And we will get into what the future of the New York Rangers look like because there's a big there's question marks going into next season and changes obviously have to be made as we are. You know, this was put an end to the real first year of the rebuild. So on to the next one, we got to improve. Yeah. I think with, as the weeks go on, you and I will have maybe a little bit more clarity about how it'll, will allow us to kind of, it won't be so fresh, uh, the sweep and we can kind of 
orient it with taking bigger stock in the regular season and what we saw over a larger sample size, but while still being able to balance it with what we saw in the postseason when things are a little bit, the competition's a little bit tougher. So yeah, uh, I guess we, let's take this time to digest this Ranger fans and hopefully they win the first overall pick. I mean, that would definitely lessen the sting and maybe push us in a more positive direction. But yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest, now that the season's done, James, officially, yeah, I guess we, maybe it'll be it'll be easier for us to finally just do a post-mortem and re- next time and really just put everything into perspective going forward. Because uh, right now this really sucks. But, you know, uh, I guess we, 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 got, we wanted Rangers hockey to watch and, and we got our wish. So, you know, I guess be careful what you wish for sometimes. Thank you for listening to the Broadway Boys Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Boys Pod, and please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.